0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. Today, Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer, and Mike Haslam from Investment Solutions discuss the next UK Prime Minister, delve into post-Brexit trade deals, and revisit the subject of Bitcoins. Welcome to Word on the Street. My name is Mike Haslam, and this is where I get the opportunity to review the week and take a look at the main stories that have been making the headlines. And to help me navigate and make sense of this, I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for joining us today, Will. Morning, Mike. So let's kick off with the only subject in town, the next British Prime Minister. How exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, One simple question to kick it off, Will. Does it
1: really matter who becomes the next Prime Minister? Well, Mike, I think you're being a bit deliberately disingenuous there. It's not a very simple question. It's an extremely complicated one, as I think you know. uh, There is, I mean, on this, there is a strand um, of thought that argues that um, we routinely exaggerate the economic importance of sort of changes in political ideology or personnel. Um, And perhaps that belief is necessary to kind of, you know, continue to, uh, for us to continue to trudge to the polls uh, with increasingly uh, increasing regularity in the UK. But anyway, a close study of the UK's economic history um, would seem to suggest that politicians here um, have often been in yoke to the underlying economy and its pre-existing um, eccentricities and idiosyncrasies uh, rather than the other way around. Um, now, whatever you believe here, the decision to grant the Bank of England independence in 19, uh, back in 1997 can certainly be said to have significantly reduced the economic clout um, of the UK's government, um, leaving them probably more, or generally leaving them more in charge of how wealth is distributed, um, rather than kind of, you know, the actual economic trajectory of the economy.
0: But surely now with um, Brexit, at probably at the, you would hope at, um, at the top of the to-do list for the next Prime Minister, um, surely um, um, he or she
1: will, you know, their job will be a lot more important. Yes. Um, now, that, that, that's certainly the case, Mike. Um, the type of Brexit, um, if any, um, that we get, and we've got to still bear in mind there could still be no Brexit. That seems to be one of the things that people are still thinking about. Um, the type of Brexit that we get is going to have quite a significant bearing on how the economy performs in the short term. Some would even argue you know, well beyond that. Remember, though, and I think this is a really important point, um, translating campaign trail um, talk into policy is a very, very hazardous game. Uh, You know, apart from all the kind of parliamentary and civil service checks and balances, all of these candidates um, for the leadership, for the Conservative leadership, have essentially been uh, making a pitch to a minuscule subset um, of the electorate, you know, about 160,000 Conservative Party members. Now, this subset um, is seen as further to the right and is significantly more enamored um, with uh, Brexit than the parliamentary party, the Conservative parliamentary party, and indeed probably the wider, um, the wider population. So don't be too surprised if, um, if policies look a little bit different once the victor gets, um, uh, gets his feet under the number 10s, uh, number 10's table.
0: So while all this goes on and dominates the headlines, um, don't forget in the shadows we've got Brexit looming. And if you cast your mind back two months ago, European Council President Donald Tusk um, agreed to give the UK until the 31st of October, so an extension, before the, you know, to leave the EU. And at the time he said, and I quote, please don't waste this time. Well, that was 65 days ago, so we are, what, about a third of the
1: way through it already. Will, are we wasting this time? That's hard to say, to be honest. Now, if this process um, you know, delivers uh, a means of finding um, a parliamentary consensus for exiting the EU um, with a deal, um, then no, um, it probably won't have been wasted time. Um, ask me that question again in 2025, when you and I will no doubt be sort of scrapping over a uh, chlorinated uh, franken-chicken bone in the office cafeteria. <laughs> Sounds great.
0: Now, uh, we've also had recently another trade deal announced uh, this time, the UK and South Korea. So this is effectively a free trade agreement for uh, the post-Brexit world of the UK. Uh,
1: This is a good sign, isn't it? Uh, It's good news. Yeah, yeah, good good to be making some progress um, on this front. South Korea is an important economy in the world. Um, however, I think one of the sort of really interesting things about trade is described by something called gravity theory, um, and this essentially argues that trade is still um, all about proximity. Um, the weird thing about this is that you would assume that you know, with kind of your massive advances in uh, modern transport and communication technology, um, that distance would become less relevant. Um, the data doesn't point that way in either goods or services, interestingly. Now, the point about this is that all the good trade deals we do with other parts of the world will be rendered more or less irrelevant if we operate on significantly less favourable terms with the EU, which accounts for about uh, half of our trading activity, and we're likely to continue to take that sort of chunk uh, for a while yet. Obviously, the most important um, factor there.
0: OK, so let's, let's get back to Prime Minister May. Just one more, one more question on here. So... She has lasted in office nearly three years. It was what July twenty sixteen, um, and while she will be known as the Brexit PM, um, what has happened to the British stock market since it? And this is a question that I've been um, you know, I've been asked over the last few weeks. Now I know you said time and time again that stock market is not necessarily a barometer of the underlying UK economy, but um, bear with me on this. Since her um, uh, since since she came to office in um, July sixteen. The FTSE 100 has returned somewhere in the region of 24% total return. Pretty good, better than cash. Uh, But it has underperformed European equities. It's underperformed Japanese equities. UK has underperformed emerging markets. And it's significantly underperformed the S&P 500. So the question to you, Will, is would the stock market have performed so bad like this anyway, with or without
1: May? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so I think the way that I would look at this, uh, and a reminder, obviously, when we talk about any kind of performance data, we always have to say past performance doesn't have to be uh, you know, a guidance uh, to, to what comes in the future. But if you look below the bonnet at how the world's equity sectors have done since I think it was the 13th of July 2016, when uh, Prime Minister May uh, took office, the world sectors, it's interesting because it's, it's the technology sector, the IT sector that sits at the top of the tree with an 84% return um, and energy sits at the bottom with about 5%. Now, if you look at the way the FTSE 100 is cut up uh, in sort of sector composition terms, the FTSE has uh, almost no exposure to the tech sector uh, relative to sort of areas like US or emerging market, particularly emerging markets, Asia Um And on the other side, it has a lot more energy relative to many other places in the world. So uh, I think probably sector composition over uh, kind of what's been going on in the politics is much more important to consider with regards to that performance.
0: I get it. So it is a very different underlying composition. And then
1: uh, do we like the... Do we like UK UK equities as a place to invest? Not particularly, to be honest, at the moment. We haven't for some time. But but that's nothing really to do with Brexit. That's more to do with that kind of somewhat more defensive sector composition. And also it indexes quite heavily in commodities, which we don't really have a very strong view on um, right now. Big change of
0: subject. Bit of a curveball. This um, Middle East and oil. What's what's the story? What's going on here?
1: Yes, we, we are watching very carefully this uh, this story. Obviously, now the point here, from you know, obviously we don't want war. That's the first point to make. But from an investment perspective, and for those watching for the next recession, some will point out that you know oil prices, um, of which you know the Middle East is a very important producer, obviously, um, have killed economic cycles before. Surges in oil prices have killed economic cycles before. So people do worry about this stuff with regards to the overall global economic context. However, this time is a little bit different. I know those are the foremost sort of dangerous words in investing, but uh, that's really because of that amazing kind of shale oil story in the US. And, and the point here is that America, uh, you know, North America, the engine room for the global economy, uh, including us uh, in the UK, is simply less vulnerable to oil shocks, um, thanks to its increasingly abundant domestic supply. Um, And that's something just to bear in mind while you're watching these tensions play out.
0: Okay, so with the volatile markets that we've been seeing of late, um, looking for something different, um, should I be buying Bitcoin? I mean, this is is a serious question. I get asked this. Um, And if you look at Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin is up somewhere just shy of
1: 150% since its lows back in January. It's amazing, isn't it? So, I mean, that, that stat alone actually is, is quite interesting with regards to how we should think about um, investing in Bitcoin. So when we are trying to describe, when we're in the industry, we're trying to describe the ride um, that investing in a particular asset gives, we talk about something called standard deviation. Um, essentially, the sort of the amount that uh, a, um, uh, a, a, a price wobbles beyond its kind of its average. Um, So it's sort of at the driving this daisy end, you have government bonds, um, which offer an annualized standard deviation of monthly returns of less than 3%. Um, Within our traditional asset classes, it is EM equities that kind of offer the relative white knuckle ride here with a standard deviation of 17%. Um, Bitcoin gives you 192%. Um, so whatever you think about the intrinsic value of uh, Bitcoin and this is an evolving debate of course um, you have to work out whether you can really afford um, the hair loss that comes with, uh, with ownership. I certainly can't. Well I think I will stick with um, driving this Daisy. <laughs> uh, will thank you very much. As
0: always you seem to put logic behind and you always seem to talk sense. Um, I always seem to be worried about something you make it all sound so obvious. Thanks again for your time. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.